0: I'm just gonna need you to ease back in the chair. There, just ease back. I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna put this laughing gas over your mouth. Just ease back and just breathe <laughs> <it> and just. <laughs> okay. Stop tickling me. Right, put the gas on it. stop tickling. Ease back, ease back. Okay, so now uh, I I know you're you still hired doing, me you're because I'm the. Hey, doc. You still you you still got a feather on my foot? I don't want. You. You <laughs> know, you came to me because I'm the only uh, optometrist in the north, uh, in the northeast, who will administer laughing gas to a patient. But I find that it, it really brings out the essence of their personality when I, when I find their correct eye prescriptions. Yes, the gas does seem to be working. I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing at everything in your room. There's a, there's a clown. There's a painting. Of I a do clown. have an enormous. I do have an enormous Steve Martin collection in here Yeah, I believe you're admiring my copy of The Jerk It's very funny You know what's the funniest thing in that Steve Martin collection Is just a framed picture of Steve Martin in pure Roxanne makeup Uh, You don't remember Roxanne, Doc? Because he's got a big nose and that's the whole thing that's just how out of it I am. Yeah, no, I'm um, really, thank you for being um, the best optometrist in town and just gassing me right up. Well, I, uh, I just want you to make sure your eyes are uh, seeing clear in, the, in this new year, and, uh, and uh, I'm going to show you a couple pictures now, and I, wanna sh- I want you to show me, uh, I want you to tell me which one is blurry and which one is clear, okay? I'm going to show you a picture of a horn now. This one's, how about mm-hmm. this one? Mm-hmm. And how about this one? Ooh, that one looks different. Okay, how about this one? And how about this one? Well, that one looks different, too. And how about this one? Uh-huh. And how about this one? No, they look the same. I think what you have proved to me is that my vision is terrible. And uh, I'm just going to have to buy a pair of glasses off of you. Uh, those, frames over th- those frames over there, are those horn rim glasses? Yes, I believe they are uh, horn rim glasses. Can I just show you one more slide here? Now, I want you to tell me the difference between this horn okay. and this one. This horn? Okay. and this horn. Well, that's a penis. Uh, I'll take the green horn-rimmed glasses, please. Thank you. Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky, praying James makes something out of that. (laughs) Out (laughs) Out of the bile we just spewed into our microphones. I'm clocking in at a cool seven minutes. I'm wondering what you're gonna make out of that one. I'm gonna chop it into at least a minute. Make it make it nice and slim slimline. Slim slimline, slim slim yeah, slimline it. Slimline, you know, we're gonna put that bit right on a Peloton and have it, you know, <laughs> just just reach its goals and yet also offend just millions of people. This is a Third Man Records history podcast, if you couldn't tell. We go over Jack White history and And third man records stuff, and Jack White and third man records adjacent bands, and Paul. Oh, we got a doozy for you tonight. I'm dying to know. Also, tell me more about it, Jake. It could be in the morning. I listen to the show in the morning. But anyway, today we've got an episode for you. (laughs) <laughs> that we 've had in the works for a long time, and I think'm i 'm really excited to present some of this some of this information here that I learned uh, we 've got an all l j episode a whole little Jack biography here encapsulated yeah. into one episode paul uh, i 'm really looking forward to this because I know very little about little Jack Lawrence. I know that he is a member of the Rain tours just enjoyed a number one album and world tour and last year 2019 and i also know he's a member of the dead weather which is uh-huh. another of jack white's bands and he's also a member of a band called the greenhorns yes indeed which they were contemporaries of the white stripes and were around for quite a while and that's where patrick keeler comes into the picture as well and little jack has been involved in lots of little things throughout the course of third band records history indeed i think perhaps. The first appearance uh, I can recall, anyway, was way back in that on that Christmas sleeve. But anyway, I, you know, I don't know a lot about his biography, and I'm very curious to find out. James, thank you for thank you for preparing this one. Of course, and it's safe to say, packing this much information about someone so close to the Third Man family and so involved in it is difficult into one episode. Honestly, this should be a series. I'm going to do my best to condense it into this one episode. LJ deserves more is what I'm trying to say. Mm. So we're going to probably be leaving out some information and we will open it up to anybody out there listening. If I miss anything or if I'm wrong about anything, feel free to write us. And we will include it in a later episode as a, either an addendum or I think a small effect or stop breaking down or something along those lines. Because LJ is such a crucial aspect to Third Man as a, as a group, like as a, as a record company, that it's hard to condense it into this one episode. So we're going to do our best here. But, Paul, I'm very excited to present this information. Yeah. Well, that's what a wonderful transition into our segment, James, where we correct mistakes from prior episodes. I believe it's called Stop a Breaking Down. Oh, is it time to stop a Breaking Down? Yeah, it is. Oh, I, I started talking a little like a Mario. <laughs> stop breaking down. Please
2: stop breaking down. Stop breaking down. Please stop breaking down
0: would you like to tell the people what Stop Breaking Down is? I would love to. Stop Breaking Down's when uh, we just get something wrong or you know, slightly incorrect in an episode of our show and instead of editing the show or ignoring it we go in on a future episode and try and correct it in this segment so that we get all of the correct information that we possibly can out there to you, the public in a segment we like to call Stop Breaking Down Paul, what have we broken down with this week? Well, I've got two actually and the first here comes from Friend of the show, Stephen Scott Uh, Listeners will remember Stephen has shown up On a couple episodes now And uh, Stephen wrote in to tell us About a mistake that he found in episode 113 That would be the 2019 Year in Review episode, Stephen writes Paul mentioned during the latest episode That the composer of A Charlie Brown Christmas Died recently But it was actually Lee Mendelson, The producer of that holiday special And many of the other peanut specials Who died on Christmas Day Mendelson hired jazz musician Vince Guaraldi, to compose the music for a Charlie Brown Christmas, and he died in 1976, one of the best jazz pianists ever. And Stephen apparently owns a new Newbury Comics exclusive vinyl of that album and play it every year. Now, I also enjoy that record and happen to keep it on heavy rotation every holiday season as well. Now, I'm going to go ahead and make an addendum to Stephen's addendum, it's a subdendum. dendum I've taken the dendum and I've I Found a subsection of the dendum And in this subdendum, I would like to point out that the reason why I said what I said Was because on Consequence of Sound, the website we know to be Factually correct all the time Always, never wrong They emphasized in their headline That he had something to do with the composure Of that soundtrack And in digging a little bit further Today, I discovered that I was partially right, although I used the wrong terminology, as Stephen points out. But Lee Mendelssohn actually wrote the lyrics to the song Christmas Time is Here, uh, which uh, was yeah. then put to music by Vince Garaldi. So, anyway, see, I was mostly wrong about that one. And thank you, Stephen, <laughs> for pointing it out. And uh, thank you, Consequence of Sound, for confusing me greatly. And this next one was pointed out to us by a great many people. And apologies if I'm forgetting all the different people who did point this out to us, because it was quite a few. But in episode 112, our second game show installment, James, for one of the questions, you had an answer to that question being that uh, Philadelphia was the place Jack White never returned to to perform live after that White Stripes performance. Mm. And in thinking about it, something read weird to me about that. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. James he opened with the and Tours for Bob Dylan in Philadelphia after that oh. point although i guess technically again a subdendum to that no headline there the subdendum True. is no no headline appearance True. it was an opening act but he did appear before a crowd of philadelphians after that white stripes performance okay. so anyway that's the subdendum to the dendum and i guess it's a pair of dendums a dual dendum and uh, we will do our best to stop breaking down. Thanks to everybody who wrote those in. Uh, I'm sorry for breaking down. One can only hope. It's 2020. The year of stopping breaking down. Anyway, Paul, yeah. let's get into this episode. I'm very excited. Are you excited? Let's get this. I can let's... see with clarity this episode, depending on what <laughs> depending on intro you choose. It's terrible. Put on those very thick... LJ-inspired glasses and see <laughs> this wonderful episode for what it is. All right, let's get into it. Hit me. No. Paul, Little Jack Lawrence was not born in Detroit. Can I guess? Uh, sure. Let's do it. Cincinnati? No, but. In Ohio? This is where the first fact, and we're already on thin ice, <laughs> Wikipedia, <laughs> Wikipedia, where which is, you know, it's where me and Paul go. Oftentimes, first, to get a little bit of base information before we start digging. Wikipedia states that he was born in Covington, Kentucky. Kentucky? On De- yes, on December 18th, 1976. Though, via an interview with the Raconteurs in City Beat magazine, the writer says that Lawrence was born in southern Illinois, a stone's Ooh. throw from St. Louis, but his father's railroad job led him to Cincinnati and then to more affordable accommodations in nearby Covington. So, huh. I don't know if he was born in Covington, Kentucky or grew up in Covington, Kentucky. Either way, they were in a very specific area of the Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio kind of area. Sure, it's it, Kentucky's in the mix. It's in the mix. So that's that's where we're at with that. So whether or not you you believe Wikipedia, I don't know if I do. I think I'm I'm more inclined to to believe City Beat and that uh, grew up in Covington. Either way, yeah. LJ made his way to Cincinnati eventually. Hey, James from the future here. So I did a little more digging and it turns out Jack Lawrence was born in Belleville, Illinois, and he lived there until the age of six. And the rest of that City Beat article is pretty accurate. He lived there until his dad, who worked for the railroad, wound up in Covington, Kentucky. So Belleville, Illinois is the birthplace. Back to the show. And LJ began playing the guitar at a very early age to replace his previous hobby. Paul, I want you to guess what his previous hobby was. <laughs> Fishing, no skateboarding. Oh, really? Skateboarding—that's that's that's radical. I can—I honestly, as soon as I read that, I could picture him (laughs) on a board. He's got the—he's got the look of someone who could be a skateboarder. He's got like proto emo vibes. Like uh, you know, he was in his teenage years prior to the dominance of that. It's like if a hipster actually you know wasn't the worst. He's got he's got very long parted straight hair. His look is very iconic. You know people people can see him and know who it is. We'll talk about it a little later. But at a Devil's Night performance at Third Man, people dressed up as LJ, and it was like documented. Like oh like, oh his his look is so iconic that people would just dress up like him. It's it's long long hair parted in the middle. Yeah, uh, very straight with thick horn rimmed glasses. Uh, occasionally. He's sporting a pretty big mustache or goatee. Handlebar. Yeah. He you can know, pull off a handlebar, by the way. He can. He does a good job with that. Because he doesn't look threatening, but he doesn't look dumb. It's 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 an interesting line he's walking there. But... Well why not quite <laughs> let's settle on quietly cool. Yeah. I'll go with that. He's... he's a good presence in a band just aesthetically because he looks like a rock and roller but he is very much a he blends into the ensemble a little bit although once you see him just on i'm just talking on a visual level like he is yeah like you say has got a distinct look about him so he was a skateboarder at least this is what he tells city beat he says we got tired of getting hurt and thought that we should find a safer hobby instead so he played <laughs> guitar <laughs> i by that like yeah he started playing guitar and taught himself. he listened to the music of his parents and grandparents growing up and taught himself how to play by browsing singles in his mother's 45 collection. he claimed the 45s were easier than album versions to kind of parse out because he didn't have to hunt the song down the correct song down on an album and right. it, it was easier than tape quote because you'd have to keep going back looking for something but the records were a lot easier you could try and pick out a chord or something. He says, the first song I ever learned was Louie Louie by the Kingsman, and then Green Onions was the next one. Once I learned those three chords, I was like, man, I can play about anything. That's all this is? Done. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Louie Louie is a pretty common like uh, opening song learning experience for most relatively simple to learn he still has that 45 collection his mom's 45 collection uh, with him he has it in nashville and then he used his grandfather's music to learn hank williams tunes and attempt songwriting he said about hank williams it was really fed to me early that's all my grandfather would listen to it was just always there it sort of had a way of putting you in a situation it was simple and you understood it right away and to go ahead and try to do that it's really hard To make something so simple and how you would sing over such poetry, it is hard to do. It's much harder than I thought. So then I went back to the Kingsman records. (laughs) Huh. So uh, you'd think he would have been involved in Jack White's You Know That I Know, Hank Williams' contribution to the album The Lost Notebooks of Hank Williams. But it's actually Dominic Davis, Hmm. credited as Dominic John Suhita, uh, playing bass on that song. Acoustic sure. bass by Dean Fertita. Drums by Carl Azar. I never knew that. And wow. Pedal steel by Donnie Heron and engineered by Joe Ciccarelli. Crazy. Anyway. So, a lot of famous Jack White contemporaries, but. But no, no LJ. No Where? LJ. Maybe he was there. Who knows? Maybe he's in the booth just stroking his mustache. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Sorry for the diversion. Uh, eventually, when he was confronted with joining actual groups, Jack's, uh, Jack Lawrence switched from guitar to bass he says classic story no one wanted to play bass so I wound up doing it (laughs) yeah we talked about that on the show sometimes too like yeah that's usually how it happens somebody it utters the phrase well someone has to do it and then somebody does and you know they become the next Paul McCartney or LJ you need that you need that rhythm section. Although I guess the White Stripes didn't, so there you go. <laughs> Through the years, LJ would become a crucial cog in the third man musical machine, recording with artists across the musical spectrum, as well as a member of several bands who would become a core member of two of the four Jack White groups. The post-fame groups. Yeah, and be featured in three of those four groups. Uh, four, if you count his image appearing on a White Stripes single. Right. Paul, I have a little thing here. It's a, It's... It's a little it's a little bit of a rag? I was wondering. A, a yeah. little bit of a, a little bit of a bone.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I
0: recognize that. It's been a while since I've seen one, but um I think it's I think it's a rag bone. Rag and bone! Rag and bone! Rag and bone! Uh, Paul, would you like to tell the people what a rag and bone is? Yeah, rag and bone's the portion of the show where we find something weird and put it in our weird podcast. Now, I, As you mentioned, as I just mentioned, I, looking back, should have made a couple facts the last couple episodes of Rag and Bone, and I apologize. Mia Copa. Mia Rag and Bona. <laughs> anyway, James, what do you got in store for this Rag and Bone? It's nothing big, because honestly, I think we've almost all but retired the Rag and Bone segment. Let's bring it back. As of, like, season two, we haven't done, we haven't really come back to it. I think I yeah. mentioned it once, like recently but that was it anyway (laughs) there's another famous jack lawrence musician uh that i kept coming across and confused me greatly on google and google was also very confused with uh who's known for contributions on early broadway musicals so he's like a well-known songwriter that when you type jack lawrence musician you're gonna get a lot of that huh and then also there's a jack lawrence whom a bunch of conspiracy theorists believe to be responsible for jfk's assassination now that one <laughs> that one really got to me i couldn't dig too deep into that because honestly i was back, doing something
2: back into the left
1: back into the left back into the left
0: that's why you see him when he's rocking on stage he is rocking back, into the back. uh <laughs> with his body and he's like um, he's also no. carrying a, a sniper rifle with him on stage well, well james do you know what i was wondering about that do you know what color the grassy knoll is uh it's green it's green all i'm saying is it's green that's all and i'm was saying lee harvey oswald horny these are the hard-hitting questions we ask <laughs> over the waves of the internet was lee go, harvey I'm... oswald a horny horny boy Apparently Jack Lawrence of JFK Fame owned a a Lincoln Mercury Mercury dealership near Drew Plaza. It had something to do with the Harvey Oswald's. Apparently Jack Lawrence worked there. It's something dumb. I don't really care. It's whatever it is, it's wrong. I love it. I'm into it. Is he little? Was he also little? He was a little guy. Oh man, mandatory.com has JFK assassination theories that make scary sense. Oops, this image is no longer available. <coughs> <laughs> all right, I think that'll do it for this week's Dragon and Bone. Paul, that's this week's Dragon and Bone. No. Oh, Rag and Bone. Oh, yeah. man, look at all this. You don't want oh, it? That? You sure you don't want it? Man? I can do it. Mm-hmm. Take. Let's get into uh, his bands and career. Let's do that. Sure. All right. Uh, let's start off with the Greenhorns. Is that where we're starting? What's is there, where no, we're was st- there any documented evidence prior to that or just the Greenhorns? None horns? that I could find any um, names for or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But The Greenhorns was started in 1996. That consisted of Jack Lawrence, Patrick Keeler, and Craig Fox, as well as members Brian Olive, Eric Stein, and Jarek McKinney at different points in their iteration. The core members kind of always stayed the same, though, were Jack Lawrence, Patrick Keeler, and Craig Fox. Brian Olive, you'll remember, uh, was also a member of the Soledad Brothers. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's that name, uh, which is kind of already in lore. Uh, Patrick Keeler and Craig Fox grew up together in Indiana and met Little Jack after they moved to Cincinnati. Little Jack says, we were just kids who liked the Kinks and the Who. Patrick Keeler, Brian Olive, and Craig Fox all lived together in Clifton while going to different colleges, and they continued to play in the band during this. Boy, the Kinks come up way more than I thought they would whenever we hear... Any of these third man people, they always talk about the kinks. Now, it's not that I don't like the kinks. I like, I love the kinks, but I never think of the kink first. I love Ape Man, you know? Uh, yeah. Supersonic Rocket Ship. Yeah. Oh, you really got me? That's them, yeah. right? But I never, they're never a go to for me. And so, in the way that a band like, say, The Who or Led Zeppelin, I feel like everybody goes through a Who or a Led Zeppelin or Beatles or Rolling Stones face I feel like Kinks is like the the band that the musicians all listen to heavily you know they're the musicians musicians we hear it a lot. Like, everybody brings the Kinks up. The Kinks are a band I don't know as much about as I'd like to, probably. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I like a few of their songs. But I think that's the end of this Third Man History podcast, and we should just start a Kinks History podcast so we can learn a little <laughs> bit more about the Kinks. Well, I would love to learn more about the I mean, as a sidebar here, like, I'm sitting with my—I think I have their, like, discography here. I just I haven't really, like, deep-dived into it. I really—I just really love Ape Man. I listen to that a whole lot. <laughs> Paul's a big Ape Man fan, uh, mostly because he thought it was in the soundtrack to Planet of the Apes, and it turned out <laughs> to be the Charles no, no, no. <laughs> rowing on the river with, from the from the spacecraft. Where is your nest, Taylor? Where are your women?
1: Thank you for calling me, Taylor. Alright, you can there's cut pieces problem. out of me, you've got the power. But you don't have fear, remember that! He doesn't know our culture because he can't think. Oh, how in hell did this upside down civilization
0: get started? I think I'm so educated to because i Look, everyone, stop what you're doing. Listen to Ape Man by the Kinks. What and this is. We're, oh, right. Little Jack Lawrence. All right. <laughs> this has been our podcast, within a podcast about the Kinks. And specifically about the song "Ape Man," which we we will do every week from now on. Should Um, we do a Kinks update? Like Kinks update? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it a haunted doll watch theme. I think we're going to do a Kinks update every episode. Okay, this has been Kinks update. James will come up with a fun. James will come up with a fun audio thing for this, but he really didn't. So, as I said, (laughs) three of the members lived in a lived together in Clifton. Anyway, the songwriting dynamic of the group, the Greenhorns, was centered around the collaboration between the members of the American songwriter. Generally, how it tends to work is that Craig will have a really good structure or part of the song structure, like the chorus or verse, and then we sort of work it out what will come next. Then Craig or Jack will write the lyrics, and that's coming from Patrick Keeler. The songs would then be workshopped during live acts and touring before they're put to wax. They, they kind of did a, a backwards uh, recording method in which they would work all of the kinks hey. out of the music uh, on the road and then put it down uh, in, the, in the recording studio. Yeah, well, like, uh, I think the Dead Weather did that with sort, sort, of, of, sort of, yeah, with sea sea of Cowards. Of they cowards, had some, yeah. some leftovers from the, the Whorehound sessions. But, right, right. Uh, anyway, so the Greenhorns struggled with getting uh, any kind of notoriety on the national scale for a little while craig fox via an interview with a private angel fire website paul whoa uh i dug deep he says (laughs) he says we played around for so many years without any real press or anything and just like getting at the beginning getting shows out of town was pretty hard it's hard to do we really didn't make any money it's hard to keep everything together and we do play a lot of shows that there's not really many people there but then you play a really good show and you think about what it could be all the time Hmm. This is early on in the Greenhorn career And then uh, eventually after after all that touring They would come out with their debut album 1999's Gun For You (laughs) that's the same time as the goes what you doin and the yes. white stripes debut album so the greenhorns yep. are right on pace there yep and like most of their albums gun for you was recorded in cincinnati's ultra suede studios via american songwriter lj when talking about ultra suede studios says it is a weird old industrial part of town and there are a lot of train yards and factories around there it's kind of like a lonely part of town via city beat the greenhorns first album 1999's gun for you shows the newly minted rhythm sections value as a fluid anchor to whatever stylistic direction the band was pursuing from raw untamed garage rock to soulful pop rock balladry and i think that kind of encapsulates what the greenhorns is all about it's got a lot of hunk vibes it's got a lot of garage rock vibes i don't think they shy away from that garage rock tendency And and it's got a lot of 60s and 70s throwback kind of vibes to it too a lot of reviewers bring that up as a touchstone to the music They're, They they bring up the fact that it's kind of 60s in flavor it could it could very well fit into into 1967 without seeming out of place yeah because it's also the, the melodic thing is uh, i think what contributes a lot to that and lj's got vocal chops of his own and he's a great support singer so lj from a melodic point of view does a lot to steer that band perhaps into that direction or at least support those tendencies Yes, and that that national notoriety thing uh, wouldn't last too, too long, uh, because to promote their new album, they would find some national appeal when they landed a gig to open for The Strokes on their nationwide tour. Now, a common Greenhorn touring destination was Detroit, Michigan, which we would know. Uh, Mm -hmm. They toured there a lot because of its proximity to where they were at in Cincinnati and its intense appetite for that kind of punky garage rock music they would meet and ally themselves with fellow musicians around the detroit area who were popping up all over the city such as the henchmen right. or one such band that the greenhorns kind of hung around and eventually through the henchmen they would meet jack white right jack white a then impermanent part of the group and a local rap scallion who kind of hung around at their shows. Right. Via City Beat again, I get a lot of got a lot of meat meat off of that City Beat. This is Jack Lawrence talking here about Jack White. He was friends with the henchman, and after a show, he had a party, and we ended up crashing at his house. We saw him the next two times we were there, but we didn't even know he was in a band. <laughs> uh, so they're just hanging around this guy who's got crazy hair and a in a crazy punk rock lifestyle calling his wife his sister it's real weird uh no one pointed out the zebra on the wall in his (laughs) house his living room the thousands (laughs) of american flags that are coating his wall and floor when visiting detroit though they would continue to live up this partying lifestyle cementing them with a reputation for partying hard quote patrick keeler when we showed up it was going to be on there's a long-standing <laughs> catchphrase in the old Detroit garage rock scene called getting greenhorned. Whoa, love Jack it. La- Jack Lawrence says, we became a verb. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I didn't know that. That's great. Which we heard a little bit about through Co. Jack Lawrence and Meg would uh, would often get into to try and see who could drink themselves under the table. Right. That's right. I forgot about that. By the way, this is uh, during... The four-star interviews, they say, like, they've cleaned themselves up a lot. And Jack Lawrence chimes in and goes, I can remember things now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the White Stripes had, at this point, begun and were playing shows alongside the Greenhorns. So they were kind of in the uh, the thick of it, the thick of the White Stripes, local phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And the Greenhorns were now playing shows against the, the Stripes via City Beat. They opened for us. This is Patrick Keeler talking about the White Stripes. They opened for us at Sudsy Malone's, and we toured together a lot with them. Again, through that Angel Fire interview with Craig Fox, even though you probably have a high regard for them, are you sick of hearing questions about the White Stripes? And Craig Fox says, he laughs and goes, they're big now, so I'm sure everyone's going to ask. That's going to be the one connection everyone's going to ask. Uh, (laughs) the, The interviewer then says, so is it tiring to get those questions over and over again? And he goes... In a way, but, you know, I mean, it's just going to happen. Didn't, uh, what was it, Tom Potter said they had, like, a jar out It's like, yes. five at their merch stand, $5 for Bombs questions about stand. the White Stripes or something? Yeah, at the Dirt Bombs merch stand overseas, they had a, a jar on their, their merch <laughs> table. 2001 would see them release their, their next album, their follow-up album, uh, which is the self-titled album, The Greenhorns. Good stuff. What, what label? What were what they putting these out on? Let's look that up real quick. Okay, so it looks like Gun for You was released on Each Hit, hit records. records. Yeah, and a Telstar recorded uh their follow-up album The Greenhorns in 2001. 2002 would see them release their third album Dual Mono. Now, this album was also released on Telstar Records and features Holly Go lightly. Uh, uh. The, the famed singer who uh, was a member of the Sympathy for the Record Industry kind of catalog, as well as being friend and fellow bandmate of Bruce Brand, as well as playing on the White Stripes Elephant record. I think she's the only vocalist, other than Jack and Meg, and possibly patrick keeler doing baby noises on a white stripes song unless i'm forgetting something which i'm there's not sure there's the I am. little acorns if you count that oh uh, yeah maybe that guy but yeah anyway holly go lightly people will forever remember her for it's true that we love one another you know anyway so that's dual mono features holly go lightly on there on the song there is an end which this song is featured on jim jarmusch's uh, Broken Flowers soundtrack huh. Remember that Jim Jarmusch Connection He really does like the Greenhorns
1: Words disappear Words once so clear Only echoes Passing through the night the lines on my face Wants traits, of what
0: was. James from the Future again. Uh, I just wanted to say that not only was There is an End by the Greenhorns and Holly Golightly featured on Broken Flowers, there was also another Greenhorns song featured on the soundtrack called Unnatural Habitat, as well as another Holly Golightly song called Tell Me Now So I Know, and also, weirdly connected, the song Dope Smoker by Sleep uh, is also on there, so that's pretty neat. Anyway, James from the future, going back in time again. uh. Real quick, Telstar Records founded by a guy named Todd Abramson in Hoboken, New Jersey in 1985. Hot damn. So there's that fun, and it looks like they put out a lot of albums by a lot of bands I have never heard of. Nice. The Hoboken The Mummies, way. the Freaks. Oh, you, you've never heard of the Mummies? I don't think so. The, the... Woggles? The Brentwoods? The, the mummies? The Fleshtones? The Mummies were uh, a band who dressed up like mummies on stage. There there was like a lot of legal battles because there was like a, a separate mummies band and then they called themselves oh. Here, Here Come the Mummies. Oh my goodness. And, yeah. It's a I whole thing. I love that. Yeah. Um, they also put out Brandon Benson's 2005 album, The Alternative to Love. Hot damn. Look at you, Hoboken. Look, <laughs> <laughs> You hit the big time, Hoboken. The Boken. Um So, dual Mana wouldn't be the the last time Holly Golightly would be affiliated with the Greenhorns. She also released a single with the Greenhorns in 2002. What? Called Little Stars. Wild. 2002 would also see Little Jack Lawrence joining Jack and Meg on stage with Jeff Beck to perform a Yardbirds set. Right. Jeff Beck had Jack and Meg up there to be basically extra members of the Yardbirds and Jack Lawrence <laughs> was there also, right. as a member of the Yardbirds, and they just played a whole bunch of Yardbird songs. Yeah, Ben Blackwell told us about that. I want to say in episode 100 or one hundred or one of the interviews we did with him. Yeah, and the, the the songs are great. There's a real high energy to it. Jack and make kill it. Yeah. <laughs> Little Jack is amazing as well. One review I read of it states that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it written down, but it said, the White Stripes made Jeff Beck look old and sound young. (laughs) Well, good. Good. That's what they were there for. 2003, Little Jack Lawrence would join Holly Golightly again with fellow Greenhorn Eric Stein and Bruce Brand to play a show on Holly Golightly's American tour in Detroit. I believe at either pj's lager house or the magic stick those are the two shows i could find in detroit at the time huh and the the opener was co in the knockouts wow uh, who who joined holly and jack and bruce and all that on stage to play the encore the whole affair was recorded to vinyl and released on S- uh, sympathy for the record industry and it was called down gina's at Three. Well <laughs> oh, that's amazing i would love yeah. to hear that
1: so this is all we got for you on a Thursday night. is back from the That's his special music for when he comes back from the
2: toilet.
0: some of it's available online. There's video of it of on YouTube that people took. Huh. Uh, it's it's great. It's cool. In 2003, they would uh, the Greenhorns would release a single "Living in your Living in the Sun and Your Body, Not Your Soul. Uh, and then right after 2003, Little Jack Lawrence and Patrick Keeler are uh, kind of called forth to join Loretta Lynn and Jack White to record Van Leer Rose creating the proto Tours band, the Do-Watters. The Do-Watters, yeah. We've talked about this before, so I'm not going to say too much about it. But I was just talking, by the way, to a friend today about about that album because he was at that White Stripes show with Loretta Lynn at the, uh, at the I want to say the Hammerstein in uh, New York. And I had oh, no nice. idea that he was even a White Stripes fan. He told me he was there at that Loretta Lynn show. And so I was telling him, ah, oh, go listen to the album. It's good. It's Yeah, it's great. Little Jack, Patrick, those two on that record make it feel more like a rock record just in terms of the power that they offered. But like we were saying before, they also have that melodic sense. so You never lose any of Loretta's melody or any of the tenderness to her songs. To quote Jack White at the time, they were the best rhythm section around then, and they still are. They have always been my secret weapon Uh, And then to close it out, because like I said, we we talk about this in a whole Loretta, Loretta Lynn episode, and this comes from City B. I still think that's the biggest thing I'm ever going to be a part of, says Jack Lawrence. I guess it depends how you define biggest, but certainly a major high point in his career, I would say. I mean, it's his quote. And it came from good, um, good for me. Tw- yeah. tw- 2010, so <laughs> six years in the future. <laughs> he just likes Lorena Lynn. She's good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just you're saying, saying she's wrong, and I, I think you're wrong about that, Paul. I think you're big meanie, and I think you should stop it. All right. Little Jack Lawrence and Patrick Keeler then go back to the Greenhorns to record an EP in 2005 called East Grand Blues, huh. which would which would later be featured on the compilation album, also released in 2005, of the Greenhorns called Sewed Souls. The EP was produced by Brendan Benson via Beer Melodies, quoting Patrick Keeler. I think the songs flow together well. It started as a full length, but Brendan got busy when it was ready to come out. (laughs) We didn't know what we were going to do with the songs, but then we were asked to do this White Stripes tour. So we put it out to get some exposure We liked the way it sounded, so it felt right. Uh, right. Which brings me to them opening for the White Stripes on tour. Wow, so they were also label mates with Jack, with the White Stripes briefly on V2. Yes, it was, yes, uh, through V2 Records. Brings them to the opening for the White Stripes on tour to promote this new EP. This is coming through via MTV News. Though they're from Ohio's Queen City, the Greenhorns have gotten in good with the Detroit Garage Rock Music Mafia. (laughs) Which helped the Cincinnati band land an opening spot on the White Stripes' current U.S. tour, an opportunity they're using to promote their new EP, East Grand Blues. We got started around the same time as the White Stripes did, and we were always doing shows together, said Greenhorns drummer Patrick Keeler. It was easy to get up to Detroit, and it seemed like our audience grew quickly. We just developed a friendship with Jack because we hung out there for a while, and we liked the same kind of music. That's all coming from Patrick Keeler to MTV Mm. News. And then via Beer Melodies again we've done 10 shows so far with the white stripes they've been great we just did denver's red rocks we've got our we've got our first warm-up standing ovation nice patrick keeler proudly declares watching jack and meg out there is like experiencing organized chaos brendan came out one night to back them in la but they've really got it down as a duo yeah so man i would have loved to have been at some of those early shows right before the racks where they were sort of flirting with each other you know Exactly, and here like the White Stripes in their prime, right, famous and still primal, and then the Greenhorns on top of that with Brendan also there in a proto raconteur and like all of these things converging into one, right. But that that la- that last EP was recorded in Brendan Benson's attic, ah, which is what spiraled into a new band. Paul, the the whole reason they were in that attic was to record that EP. <laughs> And because of that EP, they were there when Jack White was called to help Brendan finish a song that we know of as "Steady, Steady she As goes. She Goes. That answers a question I've had for a long time. Is What the hell brought them to that attic? Because when I was telling that story on our Kiss and Cousin podcast, the Now Hear This podcast, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, the, the Greenhorns were just sort of there in the attic. And I never really knew what brought them there. That is very interesting, James. Fun fact. Thank you. I thought it was very fun. I, I also I was really excited with that fact. I was like, oh, my God, that's why they were there? I, did, I don't think <laughs> either of us really knew. Yeah. Um, and then uh, after after that EP, they went on hiatus in 2005 when LJ and Patrick Keeler went to join the and Tours roster. Patrick Keeler says, you just reach a point where you're just like, let's walk away from this for a second. The two moved to Nashville and uh, begin work on their 2006 Broken Boy Soldiers album with the and Tours. Well, now they've. They finished that album in Detroit, but I guess they moved to Nashville shortly after that with Jack, yeah. Uh, Which we've talked about ad nauseum. Uh, If you didn't know that Jack Lawrence was in the and Tours, I'm not sure who you thought we were talking about. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, him and Patrick Heeler, both a member of that, both core members of that. Great album. If you want to listen more about it, we we go in-depth into it in a previous episode. I'm going to just kind of gloss over it because... Yeah, we've got done you. it. Yeah, we've yeah. done. It. If you want to learn more about Broken Boy Soldiers, we've got it. We've got you covered. But we're going to finish out LJ's history. All right. At which he then joins up with Dan, John, and Tracy May Miller's band, Blanche. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's when he joins Blanche. It seems that way. Discogs and Wikipedia again have a discrepancy. May I say? Because Discogs says uh, he joins up in two thousand and six. Wikipedia says he joins up in 2005 or at least they say that he's on their 2005 album but Discogs doesn't have him credited on there Is all. that late? Weird, yeah holy s***, so I always thought that Blanche was like one of those late 90s bands or something but I guess it's I guess it's really not It's not, it's odd in the mixture because of Dan John Miller because Dan John and Tracy May are like friends with Jack way back in the past like early on before the go and all that So it seems like it should be earlier. Like, Third Man is almost set up, so... Let's just take a real quick, very brief detour into Blanche's 2004 release on Cass Records, by the way. Yes. If You Can't Trust the Doctors, not only is Jack White on the title song doing a guitar solo with backing vocals by Brendan Benson on the song Who's to Say, Mm -hmm. but you also have... Warren DeFever who's the current co-head of Third Man Mastering in Detroit, Michigan mixing and producing some of these tracks here alongside Brendan Benson and David Feeney. Fascinating! And Blanche is just a big old blind spot for me and I think we might have to just go back and do a separate Blanche thing. I know, it's it's super interesting and Blanche is really great. I love him a lot. Uh, a lot of what they're built on is a whole bunch of musicians playing instruments they don't know how to play and i think we've mentioned that before in an episode but like they hand lj a they hand lj a banjo even though he's never played a banjo before and he has to just (laughs) learn how to play it like the whole the whole premise of of a lot of what they do at least on specific albums is like you play this thing you've never played before try and get some inspiration for it yeah, it says Tracy May Miller plays bass on that early stuff. So yeah, I guess Jack Lawrence wasn't in the mix at that time. It, it seems that way, at least until 2006 for the What This Town Needs EP, which What This Town Needs is an anima, Paul. Hey! And that was released on V2 as well. Famous for their animas. <laughs> and it's the first time he's credited as Little Jack. So it's the first time LJ, we kind of yeah. see the, the Little Jack moniker. Which we should say we're not just saying to mock him. That's what he's <laughs> no, it's That's what he's known as, yeah. I, and I, I, And do we know, in your research, did you figure out where that came from other than like... So we assume it's because Jack is large. Jack White is a large man. I don't know. He's, he's a soft-spoken guy. If anyone knows why Little Jack Lawrence is called Little Jack Lawrence or who originated that nickname... Please let us know. We're going to have – next time we have one of these Detroiters on here, we're going to have to ask them because I just assume it's because there were now two Jacks in the in the Detroit garage scene. Like I, I read an, like in an interview, like they're like – and then they started calling him Little Jack to not confuse people. And like that's all I got. Huh. Anyway. Later on in 2007, they would come out with a full album, Little Amber Bottles. That little Jack would be again credited as Little Jack would be a part of, and L.J. plays banjo, vocals, mandolin, electric piano, mm. toy organ piano, hey, regular piano, and bass on various tracks. He's credited with so many different instruments. Then Jack Lawrence goes back to the rack and tours. Uh, Two thousand eight, they would return with "Consolers of the Lonely." It was a bit more experimental, almost jazz-like. I would say, Patrick Keeler says of the Consolers material, I see that, but I was thinking more like Prague, almost that rock jazz stuff, says Jack Lawrence. We were le- relearning songs from the past albums, and whenever we had a hard one, it would be from that record. It was like, and this is during the Help a Stranger tour, uh, it was like, why did we put that there? Where is the bridge coming from? Nowhere? When the four guys who wrote and performed it originally can't figure out how it goes, it's probably too complicated. Uh, I would think," says Patrick Keeler. It's interesting anyway. they mentioned Prague and jazz and not country, which is what I think of when I think of that album. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, we we talk all about "Consolers of the Lonely" in in two episodes or three. I don't remember. Anyway, moving on, then we move on to Jack White's solo material. Paul, ooh, two thousand and eight jack lawrence plays on can you uh, i want to see if you can guess this jack white solo thing in 2008 is it another way to die it sure is he plays he is I the bassist on uh, another way to die which is the alicia keys jack white uh quantum of solace theme for the james bond film then in 2009 we would see little jack lawrence co-headline again into uh, another band, Paul, called The Dead Weather. Ooh. You may have you may have heard of them. Uh, and uh, The Dead Weather would release their 2009 album, Whorehound, uh, which we've talked about ad nauseum again. Uh, so I'm going to kind of gloss over Whorehound as well. We also went over the Whorehound tour twice, so I think uh, twice is nice. Uh, and we're just going to go right on to 2010's Sea of Cowards, which we've also talked about but uh lj talks talks a little bit about kind of his function in the band that i thought was interesting he explains uh of the of the dead weather during the sea of cowards recording it just flows so naturally with us in the studio he explains a lot of it has to do with us just knowing how to be in a band the egos are gone and we know how to work together and function mm-hmm. there's never been a time in the studio where anyone's argued or butted heads over something we sit in a room and write together everything is pretty smooth operating we haven't planned on anything, it just comes together. We don't sit around and discuss it or talk about the next move we need to make. It just happens, which is refreshing. It's the way you always want bands to work. So Jack is is clearly in a good space with the dead weather. He is very much he has done whorehound. Uh, sea of Cowards is kind of right after Whorehound or, you know, directly after Whorehound. It's it's recorded right after the tour. Of yeah, and he's getting songwriting credits on that. I mean, it's clear yes. that he is playing a big role in yeah. the band just because it's kind of a jammy band at its base. He's uh, given an opportunity to flourish a little more and at last share in some of that sweet, sweet publishing. Right, exactly. And he talks about... You know, the recording of it by saying it came while we were touring and we were taking some breaks in between touring whenever we had time to record. This band's really great. We just keep coming up with song after song. It comes from us really inspiring each other. It's from Riverfront Times. And regarding Allison in the band, he says it's great having someone that really controls the stage like that. You look around and see everyone's eyes fixed on her. I can, you know, stay back and just concentrate on making good, exciting music, which is what Jack Lawrence is known for, is being kind of in the background i hate to say it but he's like a crucial part of it he's he's the he's the rhythm section he's, yeah he's he blends good at doing he's, that yeah he's holding it together yeah but anyway i, I kind of combined whorehound and sea of cowards into one even though that was tw- 2009 and 2010 respectively for their album releases but in 2009 as well we have some other releases that happen jack lawrence backs up karen o for the where the wild things are ah. soundtrack Interesting. Jack Lawrence plays on Corey Chisel and the Wandering Suns album Death Won't Send a Letter, along with Brendan Benson and Patrick Keeler. Whoa. And and all three appear on the same song What Do You Need? That's practically a raconteur song. I know, exactly. Anyway, uh, LJ then plays on assorted Third Man Records 45s and other records. As as the rhythm section, he's he's crucial to it. He's crucial to Third Man Records kind of works now. He's their work. He's part of their workshop. Yeah. He's the guy they call in for a bassist if they need a bassist, like last minute. Uh, he's played on records such as Wanda Jackson, Smoke Fairies, Karen Elson, Secret Sisters, etc., etc., etc. Almost, you know, like so many Blue Series singles. He's just on them uh, in the background. And then uh, on top of that, also in 2009, he married photographer Joe McAfee.
1: Right. uh,
0: At Jack White's house in Nashville in a double ceremony with Meg White and Jackson Smith. What? Whoa. I didn't. Wow. Two ceremonies. At Jack's house? At Jack's house apparently it was very it's like a, it's a beautiful place in in like a few miles away from nashville's like city proper and it's tree lined and, and beautiful over there i got a lot of articles from like ew and people magazine and stuff covering this and they're covering meg white's marriage but they're also like and it was in a double ceremony with joe and jack lawrence and it's like <laughs> i want to learn more tell me more but they don't wow. know it's kind of secretive you know how those they have those weddings in the Marvel universe where like uh, yeah you know two of the big characters get married and that's the one that all the supervillains would plot against you know if there right. were supervillains uh, against you know throwback rock and roll. Well, Jackson Smith is known for his connection to his parents, Patty Smith and right oh Fred Smith from MC Five was his dad. <sighs> wow. We'll do a Meg episode. We'll do a Meg we'll episode. We'll do a Meg episode, yeah. Wow, James, you blew my mind with that one. I had no idea. Yeah, neither did I. Uh, so, crazy. I guess... I mean, we yeah, learned during I the Consolers a- episodes that Little Jack was married to Joe, but yes. I didn't know that they got... Yeah. That's- and at Jack's house. Huh. Yeah. And this is back when the White Stripes were still kind of operating as a band. Like, they weren't touring or anything, but they were just still together together. A, and that was when Karen Elson was still in the mix. So, you know, the, they were putting on the Ritz, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Must have been a beautiful occasion with beautiful food. Uh, we talk about a turkey dinner that Karen Elson creates uh, on a Christmas episode, I believe our first one. You should go yeah. listen to that. Anyway, then we move back to the Greenhorns, Paul. Right. In it's 2012? 2010. It's been so 2010. long. Wow. Paul, it's been it's been five years. Robin Williams is is out of Jumanji. He's going, what year is it? <laughs> And that's the album Four Stars, right? Yes, uh, and they get together um, because Jim Jarmusch, we mentioned him previously on, uh, as as including a song of theirs and Holly Golightly's on his Broken Flowers soundtrack. He curated a festival in 2010 that had the Greenhorns reunion. The band had recorded Four Stars over the course of some time and were looking for a way to kind of put it all together. And uh, Jim Jarmish actually wrote the Greenhorns and wanted them to play at a show he was curating. Uh, Jim actually ended up writing the liner notes for the album as well. And this was just the right incentive for them to finalize the album and get it out to the public. Huh. Uh, and that's when they announced they're putting out their next album, uh, Four Stars. There was no
2: like plan of getting back together, there was no plan of not being together.
0: I think our plan was to start making a record. You know, it took us. While to do it via billboard this is Craig Fox talking about his fellow greenhorns these guys are my brothers it's nice to come back to that first home you have had after all these years we practiced last month at Patrick's place and it was just really special Aww. I had a pretty big smile on my face the whole time we were playing ah uh, so it seems like a, a, a nice everybody's kind of coming back home the greenhorns never split up. they never actually officially went on hiatus, but you know they didn't come out with music in five years it was that was that was a long time back then. Not that the tours <laughs> didn't you know take eleven years to put out another album anyway right. uh the greenhorns would then play Devil's Night at third man records to along with Olivia Jean to open and uh kind of promote the new album Four star It's kind of the the release party of sorts and at that function. There were, there were some interviews about the Greenhorns while they were on stage. This is via Band Interrupted. Jack White still holding Greenhorns rhythm section hostage, went one headline on a City Beat blog post, said someone um, <laughs> no, is all Fox. no is all Fox says when he asked, when asked if he's ever joked around with White about such comments. What are you gonna do, he shrugs. Fight him, <laughs> Keeler, Keeler jokes. <laughs> of Brendan's production They made him change his name. I didn't know him anymore. Of Brendan's production, Brendan says, I never had any intention of trying to make the band more poppy or melodic, but I think they have felt a little more typecast in the garage rock scene and that I might be able to offer them some space to breathe, says Benson. An unabashed fan of the singer-guitarist he shares a rhythm section with, his effortlessness never ceases to amaze me, he says of Fox's songwriting. I always said he was the Brian Wilson of garage rock. Wow. So... That's something. Noted hamburger boy and genius, Brian Wilson. Wow. Via Cincinnati Magazine, Patrick Keeler had to, quote, like his own band's fan page. Does anybody know who admins this he posted on the wall? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. He has since Uh, become an an Instagram aficionado. (laughs) Yes. Third Man Records would also release a demo album, that year of the Greenhorns called Boscobel Blues. We move on to assorted goings-on in 2012. The Greenhorns would release an EP with Eric Burden of The Animals fame on Ready Made Records. So the Greenhorns did appear on Ready Made with Brendan. I remember that. We talked about it in the Brendan episode kind of briefly. Yeah, we totally Brendan, did. It couldn't have been one of the kinks, huh? It couldn't have been. He, he should have went with the kinks. We then go back to, the, to Jack White's solo material, Paul, in 2012, on Blunderbuss, uh, Jack Lawrence would play on Trash Tongue Talker, so he is on the solo material as well. This huh. marks the third time he is a part of a Jack White band, so to speak, of Jack White's four bands. He didn't make it into the White Stripes in any kind of musical capacity, but he did make it onto the Christmas album on the cover, which we have talked about in a Christmas episode. Uh, he also played on a B-side, Inaccessible Mystery. I always—that's the one I always forget about, but I love it.
2: Yeah, and I'm- do yeah. oh well
0: you wake up at three in the afternoon you ain't got no mom no dad yeah and nothing
1: else to do me I'm waking up at 3 a.m and I'm worried about something that I know that I can't undo Well, know,
0: we then move on to one of Jack Lawrence's other bands that he's just a part of, uh, City in Color. What? Yeah. 2013 saw Jack Lawrence collaborating with Canadian artist Dallas Green and his project City in Color. Now, Dallas Green has, has made a lot of albums in under this name, City and Color. But in 2013, Jack Lawrence would collaborate with him. Previously, it was a fairly introspective solo project from Dallas Green. Little Jack and company would have an impact on the songwriting and crafting kind of going forward. That's wild. I had no idea. Yeah. Jack would do a a tour with Dallas Green, along with fellow musicians in the group, Dante Schwebel, who's apparently Dan Auerbach's guitarist. You mean from the Black Keys? Yeah. Doug McGregor from the Constantines and Matt Kelly. Dallas would also record the album featuring Jack at Blackbird Studios in Nashville which is a name we've heard before mentioned for recording the White Stripes and the Tours. Right. Here's some assorted 2015 projects that were going on. Uh, Little Jack would then join the roster of Jeff the Brotherhood. What? Yeah. He played bass on the, the album Wasted on the Dream on almost every song. He would then also be a part of fellow City in Color members Dante Schwiebel's project called Rumba Shaker. In 2015. Uh, put out I, I on... feel like you're about to say, like, and then he served a term as a congressional delegate from the great state of Kentucky. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea any of this stuff. Yeah, it, this was on uh, Dine Alone Records. It's a cool song. Then he would release a solo single, Paul. What? <laughs> a solo song called Silver Flying Machine. On uh, what label? Third Man's Blue Room Spotlight Series. What? What? It's a plotting, synthy, ethereal song about a seemingly post-apocalyptic journey through the unknown. There's some lonely vibes, and it's pretty spooky. What, can, can we hear? Can watch LJ play it? Yeah. Oh, f- hell yeah. yeah. You can totally see the Dead Weather playing this as, like, an Old Mary type of weird interjection. Yeah. And the the video was made to spotlight Critter and Guitari's Septavox synthesizer and Uh. Terz's amp, uh, both available through Critter and Guitari and Third Man Records, respectively, uh, via Keyboard Magazine. He has been writing a lot on Critter and Guitari's smaller pocket piano, which sounds like a euphemism. (laughs) Which which Jack White gave him a while ago, and now he's writing with a Septivox. Though, going through the different modes and tones always inspires something interesting, Jack Lawrence told us. If I get stuck, the arpeggiator always gets me out. An arpeggiator, um, eh? This This is where you start to hear the Dodge and Burn era Jack Lawrence kind of come out. Yeah. The kind of funky equipment and the... Yes, with all the pedals and whatnot. Yeah. Jack Lawrenson says, there are a lot of options with tones. You can always find something that works. Not having to multi track bass parts using a tuning knob while composing is very helpful. It's much easier now to figure out melodies. So it's kind of a sales pitch song, but at the same time, pretty neat to have a solo song. He doesn't have any kind of aspirations for a solo album, he says, but... I'd love that. It give you a t- it gave me a taste for it. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. But as I mentioned, we we hear some of these sounds when we get back to the Dead Weather 2015's Dodge and Burn. The album features a particularly fuzzy sound created by the collaboration of Dean and LJ using a series of pedals via premier guitar Dean Fertita says the harmonics bass microsynth driven sound he plays referring to Jack Lawrence. Yeah is part of the defining sound of the Dead Weather. So for me, the guitar and bass become one big thing together. So basically with the fuzz and pedal effects and all that stuff, Jack and Dean have to kind of tag team it and come up with a unique sound that is kind of theirs. Little Jack affirms what Dean says about the specific pedals. He says, Dean and I have to work together as a unit instead of the traditional drums locking in with the bass and the guitar playing melodies on top. Uh, The pedal has got a big sound with the sub-octave and square waves if Dean and I aren't locked in those frequencies can eat up the guitar but if it's balanced it sounds really amazing
1: huh so the look without an effects is and with the synth on Mile Markers is a song on a new, our new record, Dodge and Burn. I use the bass synth also. Starts out with a riff, which uh, playing high, I wouldn't, I wouldn't normally play that high. But you're high right now. though. I'm very high right now. So that lick without the bass synth would sound like this. So
0: effects heavy he's, he's, he's getting into it Well not just um, effects on that album It's writing heavy for him he, he has writing credits on 7 out of the 12 tracks on that yep. album That's more than half Without the bass guitar,
1: the dead weather would be nothing
0: Right um, Which is quite a bit Like I think that may be his biggest single writing contribution To any Jack White Project record, certainly Yeah, for sure And he's, he's experimenting a lot on it too uh, he experiments with feedback, he says, as well as hollow body basses on his cars, as well as uh, getting closer to the amps.
1: I haven't demonstrated how I can play both basses at one
0: time. We'll save that for later in the demo. You actually can play two basses at once, the one behind you on that stand and the one in your hand. Yes. Interesting. You want to see? Yeah, Wait. During these these interviews, which came from Premier Guitar Magazine, I believe, yeah. He claims that he's allergic to nickel. Wasn't well, interesting, I guess. Fascinating. It also sounds uh, like it could be a joke, but maybe not. No, it's, I don't think it is because Ariel has a metal metal allergy, so it, it makes sense to me that it would be a thing, but nickel is in a lot of guitar strings, huh. and so he says, I use flat wound strings. I'm allergic to nickel, which means I can't use nickel-plated round wounds. Do you want to know what his uh, publishing name is for the writing? Yes, please. Evil Jojo Music? Hell yeah. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> I assume because of his wife, Joe. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He talks about using this this Proco rat pedal, hmm. and then mentions that uh, the Jesus Lizard was one of my favorite bands growing up, and I, he uses a rat pedal because one of the band members, David William Sims, uses it. I don't know what the Jesus Lizard is, but I intend to find out. Somebody write us in. Tell us. We'll smell that. Did you, wait, really quick. Do you know Dodge and Burn was sequenced solely by Dean Fortina? Like, this is I. This is why I want to learn more about Dodge and Burn. Anyway, continue. Uh, I did not, and I, I can't wait to do research on that. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, then we move on to City in Color again. Jack Lawrence then plays on uh, City in Color's single, Woman. Wild. He then plays on the 2017 single, Peaceful Road, Backed with Rain. And that moves us on to 2017 things. He plays bass on J.D. McPherson's album, Undivided Heart and Soul. He's on almost every song. And then moves us into 2018 things. He's keeping himself busy. He's still playing with Jeff the Brotherhood uh, (laughs) on their entire album Magic Songs. And he played on a song called Christmas Time Back Home, which is on a John Duffy tribute album. Okay. Okay. That's what I said. And that moves us right back into the Rackin' Tours in 2019's Help a Stranger. Patrick Keeler says of Help a Stranger, I learned how to play rock and roll with Jack Lawrence, he says emphatically. That's why it's easy to do when it comes back around. If we could only get rid of those pesky guitar players, we'd be fine, (laughs) Jack Lawrence says. I use four drums, LJ uses four strings, Keeler says. That's all you need. Wow. So, yeah, Help a Stranger sees the return of the insurmountable rhythm section of the and Tours. Um, and LJ's first solo vocal uh, on a and Tours song contributing to true. the opening of uh, Help Me Stranger. Help Me Stranger, yeah. If you call me, I'll come running. We will never not find an excuse to do that on an episode, I think. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, album's great. It's so good to hear them back together. He still looks the same. I, I think Jack Lawrence was bit by a vampire because I don't think that man's aged a day in his life. Yeah, he's got uh, that Keanu Reeves thing going on. He really does. I think it's the the glasses and hair. Yeah. Like you focus on that and not on anything else. So it's just like Yeah, he adopted I don't know. a look early. It's why Ringo has looked the same age for 30 years. Right. Cuz you just you you see the look and you're like, "Oh, well that's the guy. That's right. the guy I know." Yeah, Nothing's it's not changed. face forward necessarily, right? We've we've gotten into Helpless Stranger in the past, uh, and that brings us to our last thing for LJ uh, so far, because this man is irreplaceable with with so many places, bands, and record companies. He's back to City and Color in 2019. <laughs> what? He is a part of the. He plays on almost every song in the band. A pill for loneliness. Wild with City and Color, Dallas Greens Project. This guy's all over the place. This guy is playing music with Wanda Wanda Jackson. He's playing music with Loretta Lynn. He's playing music with Jack White. He's playing music with the henchmen. He's just everywhere. This guy is everywhere. It's impossible to avoid Jack Lawrence. You throw a stone at a band, you're likely to hit one of Jack Lawrence's lenses. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you said at the top, James, I mean, we could really spend an entire series on this guy's career, I think. But I thought... You did a wonderful job in summarizing, at the very least, and if anyone wants to dive further into that, I think I'm going to, uh, into some of these other projects, they definitely should. Look up Jack Lawrence, just anything. Look up the tours you, You've never heard them before, right? You're listening to our <laughs> podcast, Fresh, Never Hearing a Jack White Project. Yeah, uh, it's great stuff. Paul, I think that'll do it for this episode of Jack Lawrence. Should we move on to our third person? Yeah, let's move, let's kick into our third person this week. I unblurred my background, Paul, so I got nothing to hide. <laughs> but uh, you, you go ahead, okay. you go. <laughs> All right, we'd like to welcome to the show today our third person anthony bain
1: anthony thanks so much for joining us oh thanks for having me
0: it's good to have you on here fellow podcaster extraordinaire uh <laughs> anthony bain welcome to this show this is another podcast
1: <laughs> well i'm still thankful you guys did my john Peel episode by request so that's right it's, it's an honor
0: yeah good recommendation though i learned a heck of a lot from paul he he did all the research on that so <laughs> yeah, for our listeners of the show will remember we did a whole episode on john Peel. And that was because Anthony shot us a line and said he would like to learn more about John Peel, and I was like, you know what? F- yeah, I would too. <laughs> and you know what we did? A whole pirate bit in the beginning, I believe. Yes, you did. <laughs> I have far more scurvy than your average podcasting pirate. <laughs> anyway, Anthony is a uh, Third Man Records fan, as as we mentioned, a stand up comic, which is super interesting and cool. And I want to learn all about that in Austin, Texas, and uh, is about to be launching. A a network of podcasts and be contributing a show to that new network of podcasts. And so, Anthony, we brought you on today because we want to learn all about that stuff. But first, we want to learn how you got into Third Man. What was your entry point? What was the thing that hooked you into that Jack White world, and maybe still inspires you to this day?
1: Well, a good buddy of mine in high school um, had a copy of White Blood Cells. That'll do. And that was my friend. I knew all the the obvious radio songs. But I didn't have a deep dive into the Jack White world until I got a hold of that album and was obsessed with it. And then, sadly enough, in September of 2007 here in Austin, uh, the White Stripes were supposed to play Austin City <sighs> Limits Festival, which, of course, was canceled.
2: Uh, um, yeah.
1: But then with Broken Boy Soldiers and eventually seeing uh, The Racks for the first time, which was... Uh, May 3rd of 2008, a couple of months after Consolers came out, that solidified the love. Yeah. And uh, I was really thankful to be able to to see them just back in October also after all those years. So pretty awesome. Wow.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, have you uh, had a chance to see Jack in any other iteration aside from uh, the Rack and Tours? Have you seen his solo or Dead Weather stuff? In
1: 2009, I saw uh, the Dead Weather at Austin City Limits Festival.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm.
1: Which was fantastic. And I've, I've only seen Jack solo one time, which was ACL Festival 2012. So, <laughs> I've caught him a, a few times in the festival setting which is not the ideal way to see Jack, but I'll take it however I can get it.
0: <laughs> I know Paul has seen him at a festival before. I've never actually been in that. I've actually never been to a music festival, as weird as oh my that, that is for me. Oh, come on down. I should probably <laughs> get out more, I think, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Paul, you've seen him in a, at a music festival. Is there a difference between the two? I would say the biggest difference is that not everyone's there to see Jack, so you get much more of a... I don't know about an honest reaction from the crowd, but you get a different reaction when it's a group of people who are prepared for Jack White, it's different than when it's somebody there to see the pretenders say if you were around in the new wave time and then you're seeing this, it's you're just coming at it from a different point of view. So you're getting a lot more perspectives. Then again, the only festival I've been to is Arroyo Seco, which A does not exist anymore, and B was for like an older like rock and roll ish <laughs> crowd. So Austin yeah. City Limits seems much more hip because Austin, as we know, is the Brooklyn of America. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, who else have you seen? Austin City Limits, that's, I love that show. First of all, I love seeing like so many, like Margot Price was on that show and St. Vincent did one, which is amazing. Oh, oh,
1: right, yeah. Have you seen a bunch out there? Or was uh, um, Seeing the Racks was my last show and that was um, October 3rd. Uh-huh. That was my 48th taping uh Whoa, at austin wow. city oh. and i've been going since uh season 35 i think they're in season 46 now wow um so but what i like about it especially as a father now is there's no opener it starts at eight it's till 9 30 and they play a full set and you can actually schedule it with a sitter <laughs> is, <laughs> with two oh, da- man. with two daughters <laughs> it's a uh, it's been an ideal way to to see shows and uh the Racks played, uh, both weekends of ACL and they had the taping in between, um, which to be able to see them at an intimate setting, uh, like that was incredible. The, uh, episode actually just aired, uh, this past Saturday. And, um, the only sad thing to me is they only played six out of the 15 songs that they played. So they didn't give them the full hour. Right. They sandwiched it between the Black Pumas set and their set. Um. Huh. But still amazing.
0: I tell you what, though, that timing thing as a parent is uh, becoming extraordinarily more important as time moves on. And I think I guess all three of us uh, is just a couple of dads, just just a bunch of dads over here. Yeah. <laughs> want to go to shows, but we want to get home at a, you know, a normal time to go go to bed by like <laughs> nine o'clock.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> the last show I saw was the Pokey LaFarge show in uh, at the Ardmore, which was a matinee and got home by, like,
1: 7. Oh, wow. It's great. That is <laughs> <Yeah>. amazing. Oh. <laughs> I love me some Pokey. Did one of y'all have egg rolls with him? Is that what I remember? Uh, I did.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, we tried. They were out. I think they were, no, he, they only had the the egg rolls. Oh, okay. That was right. Yeah, he uh, he blessed the baby while it was still in the womb and then apologized for it. Wow. Um, and then
1: he laid in, the, yeah. laid in the tramp to egg roll with Pokey. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. <laughs> we did meet in the middle. It was uh, it was an odd experience, but, um, you know, I let him have the rest. <laughs> That's why James's background is blurred. Pokey's been living in his spare room for months now. <laughs> yeah. They're very close. So before we get into a smattering of the other artists, because I'm dying to know you've seen a lot of tapings. I'm dying to know of uh, some of these other artists you've seen. One other thing about the recent Rack and Tour show that you mentioned to me before the call was that you had gotten a chance to interact with Rob Jones.
1: Is that right? So Rob has a very distinct look and I had never had the <laughs> the pleasure of meeting him in the past, but him being from Austin and right. Mondo being such a big thing, his art is part of our local scene and and is well beloved and then his connection to Jack, of course. But um one of my prized musical possessions is the poster from the two thousand and eight Stubbs Barbecue show here in town. Oh yeah. And there there was only sixty of those posters made and my wife was kind enough to scour the interwebs to find one for me about two years ago, way after the show. She tracked one down and got it framed for me. Awesome. And um So basically, I went up to Rob and said, hey, I really appreciate your art, and I have it hanging in my house, and told him a little story. And uh, he was very kind. And um, from what you guys were saying, I don't think he had met Jack per your interview that you had with him, right?
0: Right. Yeah, he wanted to keep it a mystery.
1: But I saw that um, if you watch the episode, they feature Rob... (laughs) Um, applauding in the crowd, like very Whoa. specifically for a scene. So I'm really curious to see if they actually met up this time, because um, it seems like <laughs> that could be the case. And I had something interesting to to share with you guys too about the uh, taping, because normally. At a typical show, you can find set lists on you know, the stage itself or the soundboard, Yeah. but there's about six cameras whenever they film an Austin City Limits episode, and there's a set list at each one of these cameras. But um, of course, Jack doesn't like to do set lists, but what they do have, and I have a copy of... Let me see if I can go. Um, they have a, a shooting uh, schedule. So um, on the shooting oh, wow. schedule, it's like the closest thing you can get, but... Uh, they played 15 songs, and I have the set list like, written. 11 of the fi- uh, 15 songs were predetermined, which I thought was interesting. Huh. Um, huh. And then there was a gap in, in the middle where they filled in what they wanted to play. But I was like, hmm, that's different. I don't know if they just did it for the taping or, or what that really means. But
0: uh, Do you know what those, those songs were?
1: Yes, yeah, so... Um, I'll tell you what they actually put on the broadcast. They put uh, a now that you're gone, Sunday driver, help me stranger, top yourself, hey, Jip, dig the slowness, steady as she goes. So the six. And then um, the actual set list was Born and Raised, Don't Bother Me, Only Child, You Don't Understand Me, Shine a Light on Me, uh, Now That You're Gone, Sunday Driver, Help Me Stranger, Thoughts and Prayers, which I Whoa. can't believe they didn't put Whoa. that on the, pod, um, on the broadcast. Uh, some Days I Don't Feel Like Trying, Old Enough, Top Yourself, Hey Jip, Study As She Goes in Carolina's drama. Um, <laughs> so, Why are we deprived of hearing thoughts and prayers? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. You know, even though we can't have Lily May on, on fiddle, I, I still like the arrangement that they did with the guitars. It's, it's, it's still such a brilliant song.
0: Yeah, the live one that they streamed out of Nashville at the Ryman, when I saw it there, it was great. It sounds great, even without Lily May. I mean, I would rather the fiddle part be there and Scarlet there as well. But, right. uh, you know, they did a really nice arrangement for it. And I feel a little, uh, you know, slighted. I want I want the <laughs> thoughts and prayers. They, they put my favorite song on this album now, and uh, they're not letting me hear it live. All I'm saying is take the money. You could just take the money. (laughs) Just take the money. I still have yet to go on Nugs and download the one that has it, but I should remember to get around to doing that because I just want to hear the arrangement. Um, At the end, instead of the fiddles and stuff, did they just do
1: like dueling guitar or something? Yeah, they did like a guitar melody. It wasn't nearly as pronounced and epic as the fiddles on the record, but it was still an interesting and intricate, well-done guitar duel that I, I love. Um, just a completely different feel. doesn't take anything away from the song. It's still just as fantastic in a different way. Huh.
0: Yeah, I felt the same way when I watched the live stream version because I think that's why they're closing a lot more with Carolina Drama is because it's it doesn't ramp up the climax nearly as much as it does on the album itself. Right. Yeah. So you're not getting the same kind of swirling crescendo carolina drama delivers that and allows jack to do a whole solo thing too so oh
1: yeah absolutely that's
0: probably the reason they're not playing it as much is because it doesn't have as much impact without that but i mean they got they got dean on the keyboards
1: yeah. they could synthesize yeah. and something. he jams on guitar too he's he's doing a little bit of everything yeah. that's awesome yeah I mean,
0: they could they could just take the money <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> If Dean strapped on a guitar, walked down there with Jack and Brendan and they did the three man like just falling all over each other like McCartney does with the end on live, like that would be there that would be all that I needed. Uh-huh. You know, they could there just take go. the money. <laughs> take the money. So, let's hear some of these other acts. I want to know who else you saw at Austin City Limits.
1: So, I actually have a list. I figured oh. you might ask that. <laughs> Every year I think they have 15 acts. But you have everybody from Kendrick Lamar to James Taylor in the same season sometimes. Wow, so yeah. So you don't necessarily That's... know you know, what you're going to get. But uh, M. Ward from She and Him fame was yeah. my first. Nice. And that was at the original Studio 6A on uh, University of Texas campus, which now they have their own uh, venue. Is that going back into the like two, late 2000s
0: kind of? So 2009,
1: I think, was the last season that they've uh, taped – in that original studio oh, okay. They had a new venue on 2nd uh, Street here in town Called ACL Live Which uh, everybody's talking about it right now Because the Ryman Is owned by a company called Ryman Properties And they just bought ACL Live
2: huh.
1: um, love- So we're wondering what that means For, for our little beloved venue So that's <laughs> topic of conversation But um, I've seen Jeff Bridges um, When he was doing promo for Oh my gosh, what was that movie? Or uh, he won an Oscar for it. Goodness gracious!
0: The last movie I remember him in is Hateful Eight. Tron Legacy. Um, no,
1: no, <laughs> Crazy Heart. Crazy Heart. I'm he sorry. won the
0: Oscar for Tron <laughs> yeah. Legacy. You remember when they they upset poor Dame Judy Dench for
1: <laughs> Jeff Bridges' portrayal of <laughs> Guy in Tron Legacy? Light man. I want to see Jeff Bridges as Judi <laughs> Dench. <laughs> the biopic that no one wanted. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Randy Newman Hey, uh, Randy Rodrigo, Gabriela, Dr. Dog Nice Jim James from My Morning Jacket Delta Spirit, Dawes Spoon, Ryan Adams Before all his craziness
2: yeah.
1: uh, mm-hmm. The Avett Brothers, The War on Drugs James Taylor, Black Pumas Robert Plant, Iggy Pop nice. Mac DeMarco Quite a few people Yeah. <laughs> Jenny Lewis, which was one of my favorite Whoa. tapings That's amazing Was that for the Voyager tour? Yes, that was for Voyager. (laughs) And uh, she played a lot of uh, Ray Kiley and uh, solo stuff, so it was a good mix. Yeah, Um, nice. Loved it. But um, I love the history of that show. They have, like, an old piano that's in the back that, you know, everybody from Ray Charles to Dave Grohl have played, (laughs) like, randomly. And they just have it sitting there and not being used. If you go to that studio, you can just go look around, and it's just like they – taped something the other day they didn't take any of it down even though they don't huh. use it as a venue anymore amazing i love it and uh, the same guys have been running it for years which is how i've been able to go to taping so pro tip if you're ever in town and you don't win tickets uh, there's a Willie Nelson statue out front. You'll see a bunch of people loitering, just waiting in line. <laughs> They'll let the first hundred people in because uh, they want it to be full for the TV show. Amazing! So that's so if good. You, if you don't win, just go
0: on the Willie Nelson statue. He's <laughs> holding a joint. If you <laughs> take the joint and put it in your mouth, you'll get a secret. You'll get a secret code from someone standing next to you with a <laughs> yeah. whisper in your ear, and that's the code to get into the. Tape. They got
1: legal weed there in Austin yet? No, not yet. Not uh, yet.
0: That's why they got the Willie <laughs> Nelson. Yeah. I just i thought of Willie the other day. I finally bought weed from the weed store. I was so excited. <laughs> Didn't he just quit because he he had some, some lung disorder or something? <laughs> oh, my God. No, the
1: lung disorder is that he's like 85? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. The lung disorder is time. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was just like, I still love it, but. I gotta stop. Like, uh, well, when the weed man stops, what? I think that's how they like permanently killed Kenny for a season, right? Like his time was running out. And whenever <laughs> they would ask, he'd be like, "It's his time. It's it's running out." This has been the portion of the show where I I just t- talk about South Park bits. I like
1: <laughs> remember that. Well, one of my favorite bits I think y'all did was like you randomly went into old William Defoe quotes from Spider Man. Like. Yeah.
0: Oh God! Don't don't get us into a spiral about bits of the show. We'll, we'll talk about that for far too long. Because well, now that we're on the, the subject, time. can I talk about something with you guys? Do You remember that lawyer says says to John Hammond? He asks him if there's auto erotica in the in the park. Auto auto I, hey, auto erotica. Hey guys, why the f- does he say that? What about that scene? With, why does auto erotica come to mind? And why does Dame John Hammond
1: not bat an eye? <laughs> the world may never know.
0: Yeah, no, that's weird, and uh, it's weird that you thought of it, and it's weird that you mentioned it in here and now. Uh, I guess we'll never know. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Robert Plant. I just missed seeing Robert Plant play in Philly. He was playing with Lily May. Oh wow! I was, was really great. hoping to see that. What tour was he was he going on with? Uh,
1: the Sensational uh, uh, Space Shifters. Uh, the first album. Oh nice. But he the first uh song out of the gate was like a lemon song. Yeah. Like half of his set was Zeppelin and then a couple of sensational songs sprinkled in. One thing about ACL 2 is depending on the timing, like he played during South by Southwest, people were just walking in because there were so much other things going on. I think they went in 300 people to see him that didn't win tickets because they just didn't wow. didn't know that yeah. that was going on among all the other South by Southwest crap. <laughs> so sure. I love that. He's still got it,
0: uh, Plant. Yeah. Um, Dame Robert Plant. Dame Robert Plant. He has Dame a different Robert vibe Plant. these days. It's not like the – he's not quite oozing the sex. <laughs> he, he is oozing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's secret. oozing for <laughs> different reasons. He reminds me of like a lion or something. He's like a – he's sort of pronounced. You know what I mean? I'm sort of stretching my pectoral. In this audio here yeah. Audio medium, but we're capturing it all on this sweet, sweet webcam. <laughs> it's, main, it's very lion like. Sounds good though, you know? Big penis. Yeah, kind of lion like.
1: Oh my God. No so
0: let's talk about the podcast you're working on. You're getting ready to launch. Tell us about it. Give us the plug. We want to hear about it here. Give us the lowdown.
1: <laughs> okay, so. Uh, Sound Knowledge is a new podcast that I'm doing with a friend of mine, Davis Briggins, that uh, has been a longtime friend of mine and uh, doesn't have anywhere near my music taste. So we have differing opinions, uh, very polarizing opinions on albums, and it's just fun to argue with him. So (laughs) we just had an excuse to record it, really. A lot of it, too, is uh, the changing music scene in Austin because the Ryman has bought Austin City Limits. There's a really famous record store the closest thing that we have to amoeba here in, in austin called waterloo where they've sold the property and uh that may be going away so with the chances of austin city limits and uh, our beloved waterloo records possibly leaving like uh, the landscape of of our town and the things that we love about it are changing so um that's definitely part of our conversations too and not to sound super old but it's like i i remember when this town was great you know that's how i feel and uh I just feel like, you know, there's a lot to talk about, and and hopefully we can kind of grasp onto some things that still make the town great and the music that we love. Um, Like Gary Clark Jr. is a a beloved Austin artist that we love. Shaky Graves, the Black Pumas, they're all from Austin, but they're about to be nominated for the Best New Artist Grammy this year. So that's exciting. Everybody's nice. Of course, Billie Eilish is going to win, but it's, it's an honor <laughs> to even be nominated. But yeah, there's a lot of hometown heroes that we, we cheer on, and you know, we just love our, our city. And I mean, there's a lot of great music cities out there, and I'm just thankful to live in one of them. So, yeah, yeah, so it's mainly about uh, our love for music, our differing music tastes, and uh, really what we. We want out of our city going forward. So I'm excited about
0: it. It sounds like you have one of the best primers for any podcast, which is built-in arguments. <laughs> Somebody who who doesn't necessarily share the same opinions as you. Me and Paul kind of share all of the same opinions. And the way we got around that is we started doing bits, which are terrible. <laughs> And we also go back and forth with the research. So we're always teaching each other. So we don't know all the same information, which helps keep the conversation going. I really like the idea of somebody who is just completely the opposite tastes because that would make for lots of good uh, conversation and and arguments and entertainment, quite honestly. That sounds like a lot of fun. And also you're, you're gonna be on the ground floor for what sounds like a series of transformative years for the city. So there'll be a nice document there of, What someone who was living there is able to articulate about those changes. I think it's a really cool idea.
1: Thank you. Um, But to be fair, you guys have had some good matches on uh, trying to uh, describe why a song isn't as bad, but I just don't understand how. Y'all could think "Big Baby" isn't the worst White Shrap song of all time. Um, just as a listener, I just have to throw that out there. I, I mean, to explain that away is incredible. It's
0: not good. No, it's not good. I think we could all agree on that. <laughs> but it's like you know, interesting, right? So there's yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've met no, yeah, a lot that's of. That's a good way to put it. Very nice <laughs> i've had a lot of top <laughs> specials uh apologists as well and i'm not a big fan of that song either but <laughs> so if uh people want to check out your stand-up where can they go where can they where can they see you
1: so um i'm doing quite a few sets at the uh stomping grounds theater here in austin it's off of olin road and 183 for the people that are in the austin area if you're ever in town we do a lot of uh different things like uh we do karaoke with movie scenes, so uh, for an old theater nerd like me, that's a good time. Nice. We do some theater productions, we do some stand-up, we do a little bit of everything, and it's a, it's a good time. Uh, just an excuse for some theater nerds to get together and try to entertain people. Very cool. And have a drink at the same time.
0: <laughs> awesome. Now, will any of the entertainment be auto-erotica?
1: Why does he say oh, that?
0: Oh, auto- <laughs> auto-erotica.
1: I'll give you my personal soul, and um, maybe we can text that and... Uh, I, I won't have to hear the, the inflections.
0: It was so it was so baffling, it broke the Skype. It, it's so <laughs> weird. Skype broke down. <laughs> audio, audio, audio around. <laughs> it's a veggie <laughs> cast, well, Lex. Anyway. This is morphing into Paul, <laughs> Paul quoting Jurassic Park. <laughs> Anthony, thank you very much for joining As us. Totally this is a lot of fun. And uh, James and I, you know, we'll hopefully be uh, – be joining you on your show when that launches. We look forward to doing that. I'm now putting it on air. I'm committing. Well, thank you. I can feel my time already being committed. Do you think there were more goats underground? Like, if the T-Rex, like, (laughs) it came up out of somewheres. Is there a goat underbelly (laughs) on Isla Numblar? Yes. There's a whole goat Jurassic Park underground that none of us can see, and there's a whole cow above ground. That's just ridiculous. The cows get lowered into the pen right. from somewhere. <laughs> them out. Thank you, Anthony, for joining us. It's really nice having you on the show. We appreciate the support, man. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm sorry it defaulted to Jurassic.
1: Park. No, I love it all, and um, I can't wait to listen to what you guys come up with. I look forward to every episode. Thanks so much. Oh, well, thank you.
0: Yes. Thank you very much. Um, that's, that's, that's one person looking forward to it. (laughs) That was a lovely episode. Thank you for doing all that research. Interesting to learn about little Jack's career. Hopefully we'll have him on the show in a uh, future episode, I would love to uh, get, get a hold of him and, and ask him some questions like when did that nickname pop up, James? But until then, uh, if you would like to get in touch with us on social media, you could do so at thirdmen. You could tweet at us at Third Cast. You could visit our Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Our website is thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You could send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can visit us on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. A lot of interesting content from James up there. A lot of animations, some visualizers of interviews. We've done lots of stuff up there on the uh, YouTube page. If you haven't checked that out, you definitely should. And our show is brought to you, hosted by Pippa, which is now part of the Acast family. And so we'd like to thank the fine people of Pippa and Acast for hosting us. And you could uh, rate, review and subscribe. To our show on apple podcast that would be a great help to us as we talked about last episode that's my new year's resolution i'm gonna rate review and subscribe to some podcasts so you should totally do that yeah yes paul uh you could find us on all of those things and if you'd like to support the show we'd love to have you become a a patron to our patreon Uh, as always the show is going to be free but podcasting is weirdly expensive as we explain in the ad at the end of the show or at least paul does and we have some delightful folks out there who are helping to keep the lights on and making this possible to do without losing just so much money um and so thank you to our patrons we have tam davis third person in spirit every week we have luke sinclair luke me over closely josh aiken or joe shakin all over we have melinda taylor melinda Taylor, send me an angel down julia hickling the three dollar hat make we have stew cat or the stew driver kate mccoy the bones of the operation brenda Englehart, which is i want to be wanna the be, boy to I warm your ankle your Engleheart. Yeah, thank you paul the one. for the assist and we have yvette wilkins wilkin on sunshine thank you all if you'd like to become a patreon patron you can do so by supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Third Men Podcast. We would also like to thank Sam Kubert, Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And until next episode, James, I'll be looking for a home in Blanche in 2006. Oh, boy. Uh, and I'll be looking for a home hiding in a tree, hoping that it's going to be a venue that'll have a double wedding for. Every superhero and band in town. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit the or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search the third men on Facebook. See you next time. great to be here. I I have, indeed, brought many examples of horns in the animal kingdom. Would you like to... Barbara, would you... Oh, that's very very, 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 fascinating. Oh, there's some... Yeah, there's some Pokey's mom in there. Uh, Would you like to see some of the... Barbara. Hey, Barbara. Do you want to see some of the horns I brought? I'm a real horn dog. (laughs) Should we do something else? Nope. And... That didn't have any... That had no legs. (laughs) Please, Paul. For for God's sake, step out of the bit for a second. Look that up. Oh, oh my. <laughs> and that oh. and that there is the funny. He's got a bird on his nose, Paul. I mean, Doc no, this one doesn't have legs either. No, it God does. Damn it it does. It does, Paul. Uh, Ah, do you wanna try for a third? I think I got a third in me. If you wanna <laughs> try. Okay, come on in. Come on in. Come on, sit down, please. I'm gonna show you some slides. We're gonna get your eyes feeling all better. <laughs> I just want you to know I'm two seconds into the bit and I'm already out, but I'm in just to hear you do the voice. <laughs> Just sit down. You're gonna have a great time. My husband told me I have to get out of the house and get a job, oh. But I told him he was all scared of I don't know what my relation to you is, but uh no, I think. Good either. Let's just go to the uptop just to Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, today, tonight, or good evening, good morning, and good night. Boy, this beer is hitting me hard. Um, I'm gonna go to Jane. Jay- jfkfacts.org. <laughs> <laughs> when no one I'm thinks going of the kink to... first. What's that? No one thinks of the kink first. They're no. battling with the hose. The, the hose just isn't is spewing water, and you're thinking, well, is it something wrong with the hose? Is it something wrong with the spigot, the tap, perhaps I the think nozzle? The boy is masturbating. <laughs> and what it turns out to be is, Paul, it turns out to be the kinks. Um... Yeah, I just put in a cough drop um, Hopefully it doesn't pick up on the mic I'm Sorry if it does a- Around then, and they still are Can you hear the cough drop? I'm like, yeah <laughs> Let me just put this rattling sound In my mouth <laughs> Cough drop it falls away I have to hear my clanking like, Ow, I just bit my tongue well, that's blooper material. <laughs> James, keep talking. I got to put a bottle on. Well, well, he is a wonderful artist. I think Ellie might be joining us for the rest of this Oh, episode. hello, Ellie. <laughs> thank you.
2: Thank
0: you. Can you say, Can you say cookie? cookie? Thank you, baby. <laughs> Did you hear that? She says, oh, no.
2: You baby. you baby.
0: I don't know how much I'm going to be able to respond, but you go, and if we can get any of me, great. Okay. Mama. Mama. That's just going to happen. Uh,
2: Say bye-bye. Okay,
0: bye-bye. Bye. 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 Oh. Bye. She's waving.
2: to a distant
0: okay so real quick At the end here, uh, I just wanted to say, I just found a video of Little Jack Lawrence and Jack White playing Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground, and Jack Lawrence is in a wig uh, acting as Jack White and singing the song, playing piano, and Jack White is in a wig acting as Jack Lawrence, playing the bass. It's the best. And I think it was in California? Anyway, it's great. Here's that. Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not for profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100 plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process. And we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right. It's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com thirdmenpodcast podcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody. I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.